Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 138. I'm your host, Emily Arias, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And today we have a really fun conversation coming up with a oh-so-relatable career conundrum about a woman who made a career transition, a major career transition to avoid the burnout she was experiencing in journalism and to transition into more of a purpose-driven nonprofit role but she's been experiencing some not-so-perfect realities at what she thought would be her dream job. So for anyone who's navigating a career transition, today's episode is a bit of a cautionary tale for you and full of advice for anyone who's dealing with having a little too much time on their hands at work and wants more purpose-driven work to fill up their day as well as anyone who's feeling social isolation at work. So we cover a ton with today's conversation with a really interesting fellow Colorado career coach named Chris Castillo, who I know you'll love. But before we dive into today's episode, I want to make what is close to my very last call for folks who want to join me in Chicago at the end of this month, July 27 and 28. We are headed to Chicago for Bossed Up Boot Camp our weekend-long workshop for women who are navigating career transition and really want to level up in living their best boss life. I'm so excited to make this Bossed Up Bootcamp an especially awesome one as it's the first bootcamp that I'm hosting post-Bossed Up Book Tour. And there are so many goodies coming your way for all the women who registered to join me and our exceptional team of trainers for this one-of-a-kind weekend. And as a reminder, this is not a huge conference. You will not be crowded into some conference room listening to panelists after panelists with 300 other women. No, this is a very intimate weekend experience where half the value is the community of courage you gain, the women you really get to know over the course of the weekend who are from all different walks of life and all different career trajectories, but who share a common goal of transforming their lives for the better. And these are the women you will keep in touch with for years after Boston boot camp as a form of accountability, as a form of encouragement, and really to help, as we say here at Boss Up, to lift as we climb. I hope to see you there. Find all the details and register now at bossedup.org slash bootcamp, which you'll find in today's show notes as well. All right, let's dive into today's episode, starting with this fantastic career conundrum called in by our loyal listener, Allison. Hi, Emily. My name is Allison. I've listened since the beginning, and I'm a huge fan of this show. It's already helped me so much, but I find myself in a career conundrum. I started a new job two months ago as the public relations manager of a nonprofit. I really want to work in the nonprofit field, and I used to be a journalist but got burned out doing that, so I thought this would be the perfect combination. So the pay is good, the benefits are good, but I have two issues. 
The first is that the nonprofit I'm working for also hired a PR company on retainer, and they are very hands-on. So it leaves me fighting for work, and I ultimately don't have enough work to fill my day or week, and it feels like I'm competing with a PR company for work, even though that's what I was hired to do. Now, the second issue is that this job is very socially isolating, and my boss works in a different location. Even though I'm in the C-suite with the executives, I'm usually the only one in the office because they're traveling so much, and my boss wanted me to be in the C-suite to be close to the executives in case I needed to reach out to them, but that hardly ever happens. So the social isolation I experienced in my last role, which lasted two years, was a major factor in the reason I left. So I'm not sure where to go from here and if I need to reevaluate this entire job or just be patient. Allison, thanks so much for your kind words about the Boss Up podcast. I'm so excited to dive really into your dual conundrum here because you've laid out a few different challenges you're facing having made this big career transition. And first and foremost, Allison, I want to congratulate you on making what is a big sometimes scary jump from journalism to the nonprofit sector. It is totally natural that when making a big career transition like that, you will experience new challenges, new bumps in the road along the way that you hadn't anticipated or experienced in the past. So know that what you're dealing with is normal and it is surmountable. And to help me break down today's career conundrums, I'm excited to be joined by a fellow Colorado career coach, Chris Castillo. Chris is the founder of Empowered Achievers, where she works as a career coach helping ambitious women craft careers they love. Originally coming from the corporate advertising industry, where she worked with clients like Google, YouTube, and Expedia, she traded in the agency life for the world of talent development and culture. She transformed her own career into something she loves and is passionate about getting rid of those Sunday scaries for every one of her coaching clients too. Chris Castillo, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I feel like this is such a great cautionary tale to all my career transitioners listening to this. I get so many folks who come to Boss Up and especially come to Boss Up Bootcamp because they're navigating a career transition. And here, Allison shows us that Going from a burnt-out journalist to operating in a mission-driven nonprofit organization is a career transition she has made, but it's not perfect. And, you know, there's oftentimes, I think of it as something Kathy Caprino, a career coach and a Forbes contributor, discusses and calls the pendulum effect, where you swing way away from the job that you didn't like to this other field, and now you've got new problems, and eventually we find our happy medium by swinging back. So let's take Allison's questions in two different parts, just to keep things simple here. First, let's talk about what would you advise her to do, considering that there's this duplication. It almost sounds like this duplicative situation where they've hired her as a PR person in a senior executive role. And they've also hired this very involved external PR organization that she feels in competition with. Right. I feel like there's so much within even that that piece of the question. But I guess my question to Allison, if she is listening to this back right now, is I would be curious to hear whether she knows the answer to this or not yet, or can have this conversation. Because I think both of her questions, my advice tends to come back to start to have a conversation. We don't want you making decisions based off of 
a one-sided, right? I think this is what's happening. My first question to her would be, you know, does she have any idea as to why they were hired? That would be my first question for her and for her manager. Why were they hired? Is there a reason? Was there a misunderstanding about maybe they thought that it would just be too much to have her handle all of it? And she could come back to them and say, no, no, I have the bandwidth. And maybe that would be great news for them. So that would be my first question. Why were they hired? And starting that conversation around that, because I think that's the most immediate gap. Yeah. I'm thinking back to my days as a very annoying intern, which I talk about quite often on the show. (laughs) There was one time when I was this eager beaver intern with not enough work to do. And I was grandfathered in, in some ways, to this internship program that they kept doing every summer where they hired like six different interns and they had work for maybe one intern. And so the majority of us in this fishbowl environment where everyone was exposed in this common area desk space, literally some of my fellow interns would go to sleep on their desks. Oh my gosh. And that was considered less offensive than what I was doing and got reprimanded for, which was saying like, I have no work to do. Like, what am I supposed to be doing here? I've got nothing to do. And so there's a part of me that can relate to Allison's frustration here in that it sounds like she inherited this PR firm. And for all we know, and again, we're operating on assumptions here, but maybe Allison's manager is stuck in a contract with this consulting firm. And this is a contract that they entered before they had Allison. And so she just has to bite her time and like figure her way forward in a way that's not bringing petty conflict to her manager. So there's a part of me that wants to say, yeah, we want to understand the intention. Why are these people here? And how do you want my work to relate to theirs? But also we have to be adults about this. Can you, Allison, directly solve this with the consultants? Do we have to go to the manager? Do we have to bug the manager with essentially, I have nothing to do? Because that is not, no manager wants to hear that because it reminds them of perhaps their bad hiring decisions. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And especially for a nonprofit, right? Where my assumption, and again, this is an assumption, but my assumption is that at a nonprofit, you want to be pretty wise with the people you're bringing on. So I totally get that. And I think even there's a way to frame it so it doesn't have to be a reminder of their their maybe not so great decisions. But even just starting the conversation of, hey, I wanted to kind of understand what the expectations are of how you want me to be interacting with this team. You know, there's a lot that they do that I feel like I, I could take on. So I'm happy to take on if you would like me to. But even starting that conversation, because The good news is she's in this situation where if it turns out that there's some reason why this team is on board and there's not enough work, then you can actually use that as a great opportunity to be able to say, okay, well, what are the things I'm interested in more and how can I do more of that? It could actually help you build your career into something more custom and more fulfilling. Yeah. But I think a big part of that, and exactly to your point, right, a big part of that is separating your worth from what you are outputting day in and day out. Cause that, that's the other thing that kind of sounded, and again, I'm only hearing part of this conversation, but that would, that would be my other question for her, because I think sometimes that can be this thing that I see for, and this is a thing that I see with clients all the time. This is something personally I struggled with myself is super high achievers. You tend to see this. If I'm not doing, then why am I even here? And you start to feel like, you know, you have to be 110% all the time. So I would just 
flag to be aware of, you know, is that me coming into play and trying to, you know, prove that I was a worthwhile hire in any capacity. That's an interesting concept too. Let's say Allison takes this to her boss, not in the form of a problem, but in the form of a, I want to check in and make sure that my first 90 days are going as well as I think they are. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I just want to make sure that my priorities are aligned with yours, that I'm performing at the level you're expecting and above and beyond and know that I'm really excited to be here in that really positive frame. And then like you're saying, view this as an opportunity to recalibrate her own personal expectations of herself and the contribution she's making through this nonprofit, which clearly she joined because she's craving more impact. She wants to contribute to a greater good, right? And journalism was burning her out perhaps because it wasn't giving her that opportunity. So now the question is, where do I insert more purpose-driven good into my day with my surplus of time? Because as someone who hires part-time contractors all the time for Bossed Up, a lot of my part-time contractors who contribute to the good of our organization over the years have had full-time jobs and the amount of corporate waste that I have become aware of through the mere fact that like, there are lots of people in our economy who are filling their free time at, at their day jobs with more purpose-driven work, whether it's starting their own organization or volunteering, right? I wonder if Allison could find a way to volunteer her PR support to a board or a nonprofit in the same context or in the in a in a the same environment that she could spend time doing some work on a volunteer capacity too. Yeah, I think that's a great idea and I think right all of these things come back to starting the conversation. You know, my mom growing up used to always say, which is kind of silly, but she would always say, you know, she's like just open your beautiful mouth and ask, right? But it is. It's it's important to remember that sometimes because I think that is the gap that I see with so, so, so many women is just, we are kind of making these decisions with only the information we have. And sometimes we don't want to gather more information because that feels scary. And yet if we were to just have that, start that conversation around expectations, that's what an empowered approach is. An empowered approach is not about having everything go the way you want it to go, but it's about Hey, I know I need I need an answer here to move forward, so I'm going to ask the question and regardless of what the answer is, at least I can make an informed decision at that point. So that's a good thing. <laughs> Definitely. So you're saying she should at least start the conversation with her manager to check in on expectations and make sure she's meeting them first, right? Yeah, I probably would, and I think if she can get any sort of clarity as to what is the dynamic you're hoping for between me and this team. Yeah. That actually is a, a, kind of my, my same take on her second question about that social isolation as well, right? I think mismatch and expectations is pretty much like the biggest source of friction. Just like if you were to start a new job and you thought it was a kind of 9.30 to 10 roll in thing and your manager thinks it's a 9.30 on the dot, if you guys have never talked about it, no one is technically wrong. You just have not had a conversation and it's going to cause a lot of friction and discomfort. Same thing here. If they haven't talked about, hey, how do you expect me to be interacting with this team? How do you expect me to split the work with them? What do I do with any of this other time? Can I take on some of these other things, right? But if, if you don't have that conversation. And I want to dive into that second part of her question. But one last shout out to Allison here. First of all, thank you for calling in with this wonderful question. But one last tip for you, Allison, is to check out 
the past episode of the Bossed Up podcast all about, it's actually called Bored at Work, question <laughs> mark. And it's for folks who find themselves with this surplus of time, which is shockingly common to the point where Bored at Work is one of our most listened to episodes ever. So I'll also sort of refer you to that episode where you can hear more about, okay, exactly what would it look like to start a side hustle, to start volunteering, or start making use of this time to further my professional development, which is where I think her social isolation question, that part of her question really comes into play with how the hell is she supposed to learn and grow and be in this executive suite if there is no executives in the executive suite, if it's just an empty workplace all the time? What are your initial pieces of advice for how Allison can navigate that? This was another part that I was like, oh, it got me right in the gut because I originally come from the world of advertising and I worked at an agency called Essence out of San Francisco. For quite some time, I worked on the Google account and I worked a lot with our New York team. So the Google account was managed primarily in New York. And then we had a mobile specific team out of San Francisco. And that was the team I was on. I so remember the experience of working really closely with people not in the same office as me, not in the same time zone as me. For quite a while, my manager was out of the New York office. And so, so much of my job, you know, at one point there were, there were, was me and one other woman who did the same role and then everyone else was in New York. And so, so much of our job had to be kind of like managing those people and trying to keep us in their mind because how easy it can be to have, they would turn around, you know, they'd be sitting next to each other. So it's right. easier for them to kind of come up with an idea and we weren't there for that part. And so I could totally identify with her part of not only is she not having the people in her current office that she's in, but also her sounds like her boss is in another office. I'm not sure about anyone else on her team or if there is anyone else on her team. It sounds like it might be a small setup there, but I definitely understand the feeling of being socially isolated. I think it's also an international epidemic. Loneliness is a serious public health concern for folks in governments all over the world. Digitally connected as we are, we are living in a rapidly more isolated world. And when that hits you professionally, first of all, it's hard enough to make friends personally as a grown woman. <laughs> but then when it's when you're experiencing that at work too, as an entrepreneur, I sometimes wonder, am I inhibiting my growth because I don't have colleagues in an office every day? Am I not only inhibiting the enjoyment factor of socializing at work, but I'm am I not able to learn and grow? And it reminds me of just how much that responsibility has to be something I take the mantle on, right? Like you have to be really proactive, which is kind of exhausting, to be honest. Like you have to be really proactive about not only building a social life outside of work, but really building a social life that is professional, networking your butt off. And especially if you've got not so much work to do, Allison, I would really aim to have a goal for at least one new professional connection in the form of a lunch date every week. How can I spend an hour and a half out at lunch, put that in the budget as your professional development lunch fund, and take out someone in my community, in my areas of interest, you know, in the organization or outside of it, in partner organizations, to just go out to lunch and connect with people one-on-one -on -one every single week. And you'd be surprised how much that can fill the void when you don't have colleagues shoulder to shoulder with. Yeah, that's a great idea. And I think, right, so much of it 
to your point, I totally agree. So much of it comes to that. And that's a lot of what I had to do is, okay, well, then what way can I feel connection? If it's not going to be in this way, in what way can I do it? So you could be, but again, I think all of this starts with coming back to having a conversation with your manager. I would start with that of what are the expectations? I know you wanted me to be in this office so I could interface with this team a lot, but a lot of them are traveling. So I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Again, what are the expectations that you have for me in terms of my interaction with this team? Am I meeting those? But I think starting by having that conversation is going to be huge because then she'll be able to make, again, an informed decision of, oh, okay, so is it just you want me to be there in case they need me? Maybe if if it's something more, maybe I could schedule more regular lunches with any of them when they are in town. Maybe I could connect more with my manager who isn't in my office, right? That was another initial question I had for Allison is how often are you having one-on-ones with your manager or anyone else? Because that can even be a huge help, even if they're not in the same office as you, for you to feel that type of connection. Because if you're not having those regularly and you're not having people in the office, well, of course, it's not going to feel so good. So yeah, taking the time to, to see, is there a way for her to work in any more of those kind of time with people who she does work with? And then making sure, again, she's on the same page when it comes to expectations of what they were hoping for her to get from that. Because who knows, maybe her manager will say, oh, it's totally fine for you to go work from a co-working space one day a week. Now that I know that you don't actually need to be there all those times, I don't know, but you won't know unless you talk to them about it. It's interesting because it's it's almost sounds based on Allison's voicemail, like her manager wanted her in the executive suite as a way to benefit Allison, right? Because it was going to be a support for her to be networking. And this manager has already shown us that she has like duplicated the work of the PR agency and Allison, the PR person. So maybe it's just the sign of a manager who has expectations and goals and the day-to-day work is not currently living up to that, right? She's got expectations for how great of an environment this could be for Allison. And yet the choices that they've had to make involve a lot of executive travel. And so it's not going to happen. That manager, it's not her priority to make your social life or your professional networking a priority, Allison. So I would just remind you that, yes, we got to have those conversations about expectations just to make sure you're meeting your boss's objectives. But your professional development is your priority. And it is very rare that you find the manager who makes their direct reports professional development a top priority. Totally. I wish it weren't so. (laughs) Right. Well, I think that's part of expectations too, right? Is not just their expectations, your expectations of that. And that's what I think an expectations conversation is important for everyone at any job is, hey, what are you expecting from me? Here's what I'm expecting from you, right? Let's talk about this so we can see if there's any gaps. Because I think part of it is understanding what their goal was for this, but then sharing, oh, okay. So like my expectation, you wrote something that's really important to me is that, social connection. And as of right now, that's been proven to be a challenge. So I was curious, would you be open to, and that's when you can kind of propose those things because a hundred percent, right? You need to advocate for those things for yourself. And that's sharing what you need in the relationship because any, right, any career stuff is like any relationship stuff. It's all about two-way street. Um, So I think it's like starting that conversation and then saying, okay, well, now that I have a better grasp of where you're at, you know, let me share, this is kind of what's coming up for me and here are the challenges I'm having. So I was wondering, would it be possible for, you know, could we start having more regular offsites or can we start having more regular one-on-ones or whatever it is 
that's the ask. But I think so much of my advice tends to come back to this idea of, you know, when she said, should I reevaluate the whole thing or be patient? Right. I think yeah. It's somewhere in between, right? It's not about scrapping everything right away. And it's also not about just saying, okay, well, I just need to suck it up for a little bit. I think the best approach, in my opinion, is always an empowered approach where you say, let me put out there and let's start a like educated conversation so we can see. My job is to advocate for myself and see, are there ways for me to fix this? If yes, then great. If not, then I can make an informed decision at least and I'll know that they won't be able to change it. I love the relationship metaphor also because we don't need to get everything from one relationship. Yeah. And we certainly don't need to get everything from one job either. So this this idea that oh, we've made this big career transition, but the job isn't perfect. Should I leave? To me is like, <laughs> I found the person I want to marry, but they don't meet all of my needs all the right, time. Should right. I get a divorce? <laughs> it's a really high bar. It's an unrealistic expectation when that sort of patience approach, like you're saying, somewhere in between might be, how can I advocate to have my needs met, A, feeling a sense of purpose-driven work and I'm not twiddling my thumbs behind my desk every day, and B, not so socially isolated? How can I take responsibility for pursuing purpose-driven work with my free time and making sure I'm not feeling isolated? That has nothing to do with my job changing. You know, like, is there a path forward that's in between where it says, okay, here's what I'm going to advocate for through those conscious, empowered conversations. What are some of the things that you would think Allison should ask for or advocate for in her life or in her career to really reduce that social isolation? Well, when it comes to this, right, I think I would be trying to see if you could meet more frequently, one with the existing team, even though they're not in the same office. Once you have a better understanding of what the actual needs are of your manager to be inter- interacting with this executive team, yeah, maybe yeah. having potentially you know more 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 regular meetings with that executive team, or saying, oh, okay, so maybe we can set up, you know, some sort of like lunch and learn every week, or some sort of meeting every couple weeks. But I think once she gets a better idea of what exactly the goal is, I think it's fair for her to advocate for more regular one-on-ones at the very least with her manager. If she's not having those regularly, of course, that's going to be problematic. More regular meetings with this C-suite, depending on what exactly that conversation leads to. But then also, I think it's fair to start to say how else, right? I think, and this is the question at the end of the day is, what other ways can you can can you feel connection with others? Is it a co-working space work well for you one day a week? Would it be, I want to go to you know more regular or have more regular touch bases or go to more regular PR centric events in my local area to meet other people in the same space as me. There are so many ways to connect with people, but to your point, a hundred percent, the problem is people look at things as so, so, so black and white. And that's when it becomes problematic because often it's the gray area. That's the answer. Also, it just takes work, right? It's like mm-hmm. annoying to take responsibility for your own social life. And oh, yeah. I'm having this conversation with my baby sister who I have to stop calling a baby because she's very much not. But she's going to be a college senior this coming fall. She's got an internship here in Denver this summer. So she's crashing with me and Brad. And she shared with me how she feels isolated during her study abroad experience and how even here in Denver without the ability to – she doesn't have a car here and she doesn't have a huge social network here. So on her days off, there's not really much going on. And I said to her, 
welcome to adulthood (laughs) where you have to make your own fun and your own friends and it's exhausting and annoying and so worth it. Yeah. There's always a reason not to, right? And I get that because when we moved to Colorado, we moved, I grew, we lived in San Francisco for five years before we moved here. I grew up in the Bay Area. So many of my friends were in the Bay Area. My husband's family is from Southern California. We were California through and through, had such a strong network there. I had been working in the industry, was really well connected. Choosing to move to Colorado where we had one friend and knew no one else took so much work and it was totally worth it. But I totally understand that there's a zillion reasons as to why it's not possible. And at the end of the day, you can either let yourself fall back on those reasons and believe them, or you can be like, okay, well, that's also true. And I can also do something about it, right? I had to put in so much effort to meet new people, but I did. And I think there's an element of patience to that, which brings us Mm -hmm. right back to Allison's question. Should I cut and run or should I stick it out? And I really think you should stick it out, Allison, because the professional networks that exist around most nonprofits take a while to figure out. The nonprofits that I've worked for in the past and the advocacy organizations I've worked for in the past rarely operate in a silo. They're part of larger networks of nonprofits that work together. They're part of coalitions. They're part of national umbrella organizations. And those folks are there for you. But it takes effort and energy and time to have the serendipity of running into them and forging some new relationships. But I think the the middle ground that I'm hearing from you, Chris, is accept the discomfort as something that is worthy of of highlighting, like acknowledging your needs is important. And at the same time, acknowledging that you are empowered to do something to fill those needs and not wait for the job to perfect itself. Yep. Totally. Yeah. The good news is it seems like her challenges with her role all kind of fall into like the how bucket versus the what. So typically I say career concerns fall into one of those two buckets is what you're doing as a whole. Is it fulfilling to me or how I'm doing it? The biggest problem I see is people try and solve the what, the lack of fulfillment by the how. They change jobs, they change companies, they change teams. They think that'll fix it. And at the end of the day, they're not solving the real problem. The good news is it doesn't sound like it's a what issue. It doesn't sound like a question of whether this work is fulfilling. It's just some logistic things. And the best news about that is those are all so much easier to solve. So I see that as a win. I can almost hear the ears of our listeners pricking up though when you're describing the difference. What would you say, Mm -hmm. this is definitely off topic, but what would you say to the folks who are struggling with the other kind? Not the how, but the what? Yeah, I think the most important part is first and foremost, realizing and acknowledging that that's what's coming up for you, right? Because you want to start to see if there's a pattern that keeps happening. If I keep changing companies time after time, and all of a sudden it's, the same things or, or something new is coming up at this one that I would definitely encourage you to turn inwards and start to say, wait a second, is this a larger question with the work that I'm doing as a whole? And if so, that can feel really scary. It can feel really isolating. And I always say, I think like 80% of my job is just me affirming to people that they are not the only person who has ever felt this way. Like for so many millennial women I talk to, they feel like, oh my gosh, everyone else has it figured out and I'm here and I'm totally crazy and I don't know what the answer is for me. And the answer is always (laughs) so not true. So many of your friends who you think have it figured out even, right? Because that's the problematic part about social social media. media. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that it's really easy. You just see someone's outside and you're not comparing it to the inner part. And from the amount of 
lawyers and people who are really high up in the advertising world and women who are doing all these things who from the outside, you would tell me that they have it all figured out. And then they get on the phone with me and say, I have no freaking idea if this is what I want to do forever, or if I'm just doing this because this is what I fell into after college. Right. It's universal. That like deep uncertainty. Yeah. (laughs) No, that feels so real. Yeah. Not alone. Yeah. Oh, that's really helpful. We might need to call you back on the show (laughs) because I can already hear people dialing the show's hotline with those kinds of career conundrums, especially, I don't know if it's like mid-year career crises that we're all going through or if there's some astrological nonsense happening apparently, (laughs) but everyone I've been talking to lately is having these existential conversations. Like, is this what I'm meant to do or not? And I want to echo what you're saying to Allison, which is, girl, you already took the big risks. You already navigated the big why transition and hold on to it. Have a little bit of patience with yourself while you figure the logistics out because it's going to be worth it. And finding new ways to get your needs met in a different environment is not easy, but it is very doable. Yes. And it is like a relationship, right? We're always evolving. and That two-way fit. Absolutely. Well, Chris, thanks so much for your many gems that you've shared with our listeners today. Where can our ladies follow up with and learn more about you? So you can find me at theempoweredachievers.com. You can also find me at social media at Empowered Achievers. Pretty easy to find me, but yeah, I'm totally happy to talk to anyone who is having questions about, you know, the what versus the how, or is this work fulfilling as a whole? Cause that's my favorite thing to talk about day in and day out. And as a career coach, you work with people one-on-one, right? Who are navigating career conundrums of all kinds. Yes, I do. Awesome. Well, we will make sure to drop links in today's show notes. If you want to follow up with Chris, make sure to do so and tell her that Bossed Up sent you there. And thank you again, Chris, for joining me today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And now it's time for today's Boss Move Moment of the Week. Hi, Emily. This is Camille from Toronto, Canada, and I have a few boss of moves to share. I recently had a couple of interviews for the field that I'm in, which is design strategy. And I also ran a workshop using my storytelling board game last week at a university. And finally, I just found out that I have another interview next week. So a lot of boss of moves all around, and I am super excited for the rest of what July has to offer. Get it, boss. We are cheering you on. I am so proud of you, and thank you for calling in with your boss move to celebrate, to share, and also to inspire countless others who are listening to you today and can see themselves in you. You really never know who you're inspiring when you share your own come-up story. So now, boss, I want to hear from you. What did you think about today's episode? What did you think about Allison's career conundrum? Are you navigating a career transition and facing some of the same roadblocks in your path? Weigh in with your comments, questions, suggestions, and advice in today's corresponding blog post at bossedup.org episode 138. And while you're there, take a moment to share today's episode with the women in your world who could use it. If you want to hear more about navigating big career transitions, including hearing more about 15 real women who have bossed up their careers along the way, make sure to pick up a copy of my new book, Bossed Up, A Grown Woman's Guide to Getting Your Shit Together, that's available on Amazon and 
Barnes and Nobles, and in many independent bookstores all over the country and in Canada right now, where you can hear not only more about my story and my career transition, but the practices and theories behind getting bossed up one step at a time, and 15 real women from across industries who've navigated big transitions themselves. Know that it can be done. It has been done. And if you are committed to making it happen for yourself, if you call on your community of courage for support and dig deep for that patience to keep you making progress, even when long-term goals are tough, know that you can level up, you can navigate a career transition, and you can get bossed up in your life and your career too. I'm here to help every step of the way. So never hesitate to reach out to me if I can be of support to you at bossedup.org. And until next time, let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose. And together, we'll lift as we climb. Let's face it. Speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And It actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men, and it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup.